Hello and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talked to Reverend Rick Brown, the minister of St. James United Church in Waterdown. He's a self-styled progressive Christian pastor and a quote-unquote rainbow papa bear. I got the chance to meet Reverend Rick a few weeks ago when he led a march to Guelph Medical Imaging to protest a slap suit brought by the company's owner against a Guelph couple for posts on social media, and that got me thinking about faith in the queer community. Much of the hate and vitriol aimed at the LGBTQ plus community is coming from religious communities who are still promoting ideas in the 21st century that being openly and acceptingly queer is a violation of centuries of religious dogma. How can one be queer and also be a person of faith? How do you find a faith space where you can be respected and accepted as openly queer? These seem like questions only a man nicknamed the Rainbow Papa Bear can answer. Queer and faith is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. There's a term you'll hear Reverend Rick use in this conversation, the clobber passages. This is from a book by Reverend Dr. Mel White called Clobber the Passages, Seven Deadly Verses, which looks at how, and I quote, for centuries, evangelicals who read the Bible literally have misused seven verses to convince the world that homosexuality is a sin and homosexuals are sinners, unquote. You're probably familiar with at least one of those passages, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, which scholars like White argue are not only out of pace in a modern world, but have also been widely misinterpreted over the centuries. Still, these are the verses that are widely used and quoted to justify bigotry against LGBTQ plus people, and it's made all the more tragic because belief in a higher power and one's queer identity should not be mutually exclusive. Rick Brown has experienced this from both sides. His ministry in Waterdown, which is part of the greater Hamilton area, is welcoming and inclusive of LGBTQ plus people, but the pride flag that flew outside the church was vandalized last summer. Reverend Rick told the Hamilton Spectator, and I quote, Did the vandalism surprise me? No, to be honest. What surprised me is that it took this long. Unquote. In so much as we stand back and look at the great progress we've made on LGBTQ plus issues, progress often struggles in the areas around faith and faith-based institutions, which may be a polite way of saying that it often hits a wall. Can faith-based institutions truly say they are welcoming to all people if some of those people have a hard time seeing themselves in that institution? In other words, if you're queer, how do you know God loves you? These are some of the high-level philosophical questions that I wanted to ask Reverend Rick Brown on this week's edition of the Guelph Politicast. Reverend Rick will tell us about his spiritual journey and background, how faith-based institutions need to change to be relevant, and why the onus is on the faith to meet the people where they are. We also talk about why faith leaders also need to be activists, the definitions of compassion, and the differences between someone talking about safe spaces and creating real safe spaces. And finally, we will talk about Reverend Rick's anti-bullying work, the barriers to true equality in faith institutions, and what God tells him about the path he is currently walking on. So I caught up with Reverend Rick Brown last week via Zoom. So Reverend Rick Brown, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure to be here with you, Adam. Did we want to start with an introduction? 
Sure, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> yeah, allow me to introduce myself. My name, as you noted, is Reverend Rick Brown. Uh, I'm a minister at uh, St. James United Church in uh, in Waterdown, just south of Guelph at the bottom end of Highway 6. Uh, and uh, I've been a minister in the United Church of Canada for uh, just over a decade. Um, and prior to that, I was a minister in the Presbyterian Church in Canada, which was where I was uh, originally, uh, originally ordained. Um, and... Uh, queer advocacy within the church has been a passion for me for a quarter of a century. I was thinking about the best way to start this, um, but I mean, I kept coming back to this question. I wonder if you could uh, begin by, you know, in your experience as a, as a man of the cloth, um, how do you define compassion? What does compassion mean to you? Uh, sure. Um, compassion. How do I define compassion? Um, I would define it define it as uh, as actions of love towards another person. Uh, calm passion, passion with um, passion together with is uh, is the is the passions we share in common with each other. The things that we can share that are positive and nourishing and and uplifting and upbuilding. So that's how I would define it. I wanted to start with that because it, it seems like there's such I mean, there's there's kind of a general lack of compassion. It feels like these days uh, against. I mean, no matter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, but I mean, especially and and of course, the United Church is very very different in in the way it approaches our our friends in the the LGBTQ plus community. But yes, religion in particular. If you see things happening in the United States, the moral majority in the United States, it's never felt terribly compassionate to me. Um, and it's it's almost always directed towards certain groups like um, people in our queer community. But I mean, there, there is a general lack of compassion. Oh, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. Uh, absolutely. The church has a horrible history of lacking compassion. The church has a horrible history of, of defending its power with hurtful words. Um, the, the church has a horrible history of defending the privilege of white European men uh, against every straight men against everybody else and and ignoring uh every minority visible or or or, or invisible or less visible um and and clinching that power and using words as weapons to to protect that power i i, I wish i could disagree with you but yeah we have a we have a horrible history um i think i think there is uh a, a significant lack of compassion in the world today. I think that has become measurably worse during the pandemic. Uh, I think the isolation we've been forced to endure, rightly forced to endure, but forced to endure otherwise, uh, nonetheless, uh, I, th I think that isolation has driven us apart from each other. And in those spaces apart from each other, we've lost some of the ability to be compassionate with each other. We've lost some of the ability to be nice and generous to each other. And we need to relearn it. Um, my, my personal uh, thought these days is um, is that the church, because of that, is is now in a, a ripe position um, to undo some of that harm. First of all, by acknowledging it. I mean, you, you can't change what you don't acknowledge, um, and and you can't build bridges without acknowledging the harm that's been done in the past. Um, but I think we're in a right position these days to become what I call courageous communities of compassion.
Mm. that that uh, um, I, I think the world is so hurting right now for compassion that we've got an opportunity there to to reteach people how to be compassionate with each other and and in this hostile climate that we have right now I think being compassionate these days requires courage I I, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a neutral thing anymore <clears throat> I think it requires incredible courage some days to to be compassionate towards other people Right. And, and you're getting at something I, I've been thinking about and hearing a lot of people say, too, is that, um, I mean, isolation was almost a factor before COVID, um, you know, but the church used to be a thing everybody in the community would go to. Yes. Um, they would gather there regardless of their political stripes, regardless of what they did for a living, the, the, the young, the old, the poor, the, the wealthy. Church was a place they went to. In that in, in our time now, and, and this has been noted in, you know, statistics and demographics, you know, the, the nuns are growing, not the nuns with the, the Catholics and the habits, but the nuns, people who are not religious, maybe they're the spiritual. N-O-N-E. N-O-N-E, that's right. Yes, yes. <clears throat> so, you know, if churches and, and places of worship are to, you know, get back into that space, as you're talking about, um, to, to become these sort of places where we can be courageously compassionate together again, I guess, how do we address the fact that it feels like the majority of people and faith were moving away from each other to begin with? Don't you have to bring those two forces together before you then go out and, and, and I guess, reclaim the, the compassionate space? Yeah, I, I can understand why you say that, but I would say no. I would say it's the opposite of that. <clears throat> I, I would say in uh, certainly within the last half century, but I think it began before that, um, is society has given the church the ass kicking that it long deserved, um, <laughs> and 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 has kicked us to the curb where we where we have uh, hung out in our irrelevance. So mm. this sep this separation of church from society, we brought that on ourselves. We deserve it. We earned it, um, and and therefore again we need to own it. We need to acknowledge it, and we need to earn that space back. So, no, we don't need to bring those people together and then become compassionate communities. No, it's the other way around. We need to become compassionate communities first to earn the credible space to invite people back into. Who wants to come to a space that's not safe? We, right. need to, we now need to prove to the world that we can be safe spaces because we have, we have wrecked the trust they have given us in that area. Uh, we need to earn that trust back by demonstrating compassion. And only then will people feel safe to, to, to dip their toe back in the water and go, oh, wait a minute, maybe they really have changed. Maybe it's not just lip service. And, and I, you know what, I, I need to go down a further road on that. Sure. Uh, sp specifically on the topic of queer inclusion, because these days, in terms of earning that trust back, these days there are too many churches out there who've realized that their queer exclusive understanding of God is no longer cool. Mm -hmm. um, and so they are pretending 
to be queer inclusive and using language that says we welcome everybody uh come as you are and only after you get in the door and are there for a while do you start to stumble into the things they don't want to say out loud which is well you're welcome here uh but if you're queer you can't be in leadership you're welcome here but if you're queer you can't actually be a member you're welcome here but if you're queer you can't hold hands with your partner you can't kiss your partner uh if you're if, if you're, you're welcome here but 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 and it's got it's got to the point now where there are websites out there that rate churches on the genuineness of their claim to be queer inclusive uh, because there are too many churches that are just faking it and pretending to be queer inclusive and and a catchphrase that people can look out for if you're out there searching for a safe church if you hear the language um love the sinner hate the sin mm. that's a catchphrase for churches that are not queer inclusive Mm -hmm. uh, that represents a theology that is queer exclusive. So there's 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 just a little bit deeper dig on that one for me. No, and that's interesting because the United Church has been very welcoming to the queer community. Um, you know, we've you, tried to, and, and and you have married queer couples, couples of the same sex, and and, yep. and, and you know, it makes me wonder, like the burden, like there are queer people who are people of faith who, who are, are deeply faithful and they're trying to look for a community where they can express that faith. Yes. And, and what you're, what, but what you're describing too, is that um, not only is there an element of trying to find a faith, like a community and a faith where they can fit in, but now there's like an element of, it almost feels like, like they're being conned in some ways. Like we want to welcome you. We want you to sit in the pew. We want you to do the tithing. But um, when it comes to, you know, all the other functionings of being part of a, of a faith community, um, they're being blocked out. And so, you know, how do you enter a community and, and, or how do you know as a queer person that you are going into a community where you can be yourself and also be a person of faith? Yeah, valid question. And I, and I think part of what I was getting at a minute ago was an attempt to half answer that. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, first of all, let me say that I, uh, I, I need to own my place here. Uh, I'm cis and straight. Uh, mm. So you're, you're talking to a cis straight minister here. And, and I think I, it's important on this topic that I declare that. Right. Um, and uh, but but I'm blessed to be, as you noted, in a denomination, the United Church of Canada, uh, that has been ordaining queer colleagues uh, since 1988. Um, and uh, so, yes, I have many colleagues in ministry who are ordained ministers who are who are queer, who uh, who are lesbian, who are gay, who are trans, uh, who are poly. Um, and I, I mean, I, I have a I have a, a friend who's a colleague in ministry who's in a as in a let me get this term correct. I think it's correctly pronounced thruple or thruple. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, um, uh, uh, mixed uh, mixed queer uh, committed three three way relationship and is an or and is a minister in my denomination. So we've we've had those doors open for decades now. Um, however. Not exclusively so. Um, in 1988, the United Church of Canada passed its own internal legislation that permitted churches, individual churches, to become inclusive and welcome and ordain queer people and 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 uh, and accept them on e equal terms. However, it was never required. 
-hmm. And even to this day, there are United Churches in Canada who are stalwartly exclusive in their approach because it's not required, it's permitted. Um, the number of, of queer inclusive churches in the United Church of Canada is increasing by the week. Um, it, it, there's a, there's a, a process that churches have to go through, it's called the affirming process, in order to prove their credentials so that we avoid exactly what we were talking about a minute ago, that fake uh, inclusivity that a lot of churches put out there where, mm -hmm. where, you know, they say they're inclusive until you get inside in the United church, they actually have to go through a process to prove that they, that, that their, that their, uh, actions line up with their words. Uh, and then they're, they're evaluated and given a passing grade on that. And then they're, then they get a little logo that they can put on their website that that's uh, got a cross with a, a fancy rainbow about it that they're allowed to use to say, hey, we've passed the test. Um, but that doesn't exist in other denominations. So uh, so people who are searching for a safe space, um, I, I would advise them to, uh, to search out those websites. And I wish I could remember the names of them off the top of my head. Um, perhaps I, one of us can look them up and I don't know if you've got footnotes you can add on your on your cast I, later i can yes <laughs> yeah but trust those websites because the people behind them have done the research uh to say this this place uh means what it says when it says it's inclusive this place over here says it but it it doesn't mean what it says this one we're not sure you know they're giving mixed signals so they rate them um so i would i would say trust them um that's a good starting place uh, but otherwise, I would suggest to people evaluate each each uh, congregation on its own and ask tough questions when you get in there. Um, if they say that they're welcoming and inclusive, ask them what that really means. Say, hey, uh, I'm a queer person. Am I allowed to be in leadership in this in this community? Am I allowed to be a full member? Is there anything anything whatsoever that I'm excluded from because I'm queer? Um, and make them answer because those are hard questions to be uh, evasive on. Right. Yeah. Well, let me push that further then. Um, Please. If you are in that congregation and you are trying to, you know, play a bigger role in, in your church and, you know, you are getting that pushback. Uh, should we, I guess, as parishioners, I'm not part of a, a church, but, you know, hypothetically speaking, is it, the responsibility of, of parishioners, whether they are queer or um, straight, to push their faith to be more accepting. And I guess how much of that responsibility is on the parishioners themselves? I think it's on everybody. Um, I think um, if, uh, uh, and I think it depends on each individual's personal level of commitment. Um, so if I were a, a queer person finding myself in a congregation, that's um, wrestling with it and hasn't yet made up their mind one way or the other, then it's, it's my choice to say, do I wanna stick around and be part of the positive education, hopefully leading towards change? Or do I wanna say, you know, en enough of this BS, I'm out of here. Both of those are valid positions. I, I don't think anybody has a right to tell somebody which of those positions feels right to their own heart. Um, I, I think it's just as legitimate to say, I would like to be part of the change as it is to say, no, I, 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 my, I, my heart can't take this, I'm going somewhere else. Uh, or, or forget it, church, I'm out of here altogether. Like, screw you, I'm leaving you. Um, I think those are all valid responses. I guess along with that, Foe, is 
it's impossible to think that there are, are too many communities where people don't know someone who identifies as part of the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, you know, it's amen. Yeah. It's, you know, they, they are open, they are visible, they are parts of our community. So I guess, I guess how much of the onus is on the, the faith itself, the institutions to involve and, and, and embrace everyone. Um, because I think, you know, in any Catholic church here in Guelph, I, I would bet dollars to donuts there are people who identify as queer and may not necessarily feel that they are welcoming, welcomed by the institution, probably welcomed by the community inside that institution, but not necessarily the institution itself. Agree, agree. So the short answer to your question, what, how much responsibility is there on the church itself as an institution to change? I would say 100%. <laughs> 100% of the responsibility is on the unsafe institution to reform itself to be safe before anybody should trust it. Absolutely. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Now, if there are courageous people who want to put themselves in a position of risk in order to make that help make that change happen, right. God, God bless them. You know, they, they're the heroes of today and deserve to be celebrated as such, but there is no obligation for anybody to put themselves in that kind of position. Right, because I could be the priest of a Catholic church and be okay with giving the, the marriage rights to a queer couple and, and, you know, giving people who identify as LGBTQ plus the sacraments. But I also have to answer to a bishop who answers to a cardinal who answers to the pope. And yeah, so let me because I'm not Catholic. Um, yeah. I can't I can't comment on a denomination that I'm not a part of. But let I was me, a citing example. Yeah, but. no, no, it's a good example. But what I'm going to do is offer you an example that I can speak of sure. uh, out of my own experience. So I, I identified earlier as being formerly a minister in the Presbyterian Church in Canada, presently in the United Church of Canada. Um, one of the reasons I left the Presbyterian Church in Canada was because at that time it was not inclusive. And I was forbidden to marry same-sex couples. Even when it was legally permitted in civil law in Canada, it was still forbidden in my church. So I was allowed to be an advocate for queer inclusion in the denomination. I could speak my mind, they couldn't silence me, but if I took any action on my convictions by actually going forward and marrying a same-sex couple, I would have lost my job. Mm -hmm. I, w I would have been fired um, and I could have come under even more ser serious disciplinary action than that. So I, I, I hit a point where I'm like, I can no longer stay in a culture that says I can speak my mind, but not act on my convictions. That feels too much like hypocrisy to me. Mm -hmm. I, I need to, I need to go somewhere where I'm free to act on my beliefs, not just speak about them. Um, and so that was one of the, one of the several reasons that I left that denomination and came to the United Church, because as I said, they've been welcoming and, and ordaining and uh, queer people since 88 and marrying them since it was legally permissible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I have, I have <laughs> had the joy of presiding at same-sex marriage celebrations. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It just, yeah. it just, I mean, it, it, it hits me when you're talking about, you could say what you want, you can't do what you want. Um, it hits me like, that seems about the sort of like where the crux we are in faith right now. I mean, yes. we, in, in broader society, we, we 
want to raise women up. We want to recognize the equality of women in all things. But in a lot of um, in a lot of faiths, women can only get so high in the church. A woman can't be pope. To revisit the Catholic example. Yes. Uh, and you know it's, it's the same thing with the, with the queer community and, and or people of color, different. Fa- you know, we, we we we're striving for inclusion in secular society, and then there's this one part. And it's a vital part in a lot of communities because there's a lot of secular good that places of faith do, whether that's like food drives or fundraising, uh, you know, homeless, you know, homeless shelters, things like that. Um, this is this. I mean, this is kind of, I, I guess, the, the core the core part of the problem is that institutionally equality only goes so far. Uh, yes. <laughs> Sorry, you're not going to get any argument here. Right. Yes, I mean in my in my own community, uh, I, I'm a part of a network of churches. Fully half of those churches do not ordain women. Mm-hmm. So in in half of those churches in my own community, women are not permitted in leadership roles uh, uh, th- because there is there are scripture passages which are wrongly interpreted. Um, that's my biased point of view. Um, that indicate that women may not have spiritual authority over men. And these churches choose, freely choose to interpret those passages in a way to keep women down. Again, I'm speaking out of my clear bias there. <laughs> I'm owning that. Uh, but they freely choose to interpret those passages in a way to keep women down, to keep men in power over women. And I believe that's wrong. I, I believe our, our starting place needs to be do no harm. Our starting place needs to be in understanding these controversial passages, because uh, I, I mean, there there are there are passages that 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 uh, are misused to keep queer people down. We know that we call we call them the clobber passages. I'm surprised <laughs> you haven't brought them up yet. <laughs> and and uh, but the the one we follow was one who taught us love your neighbor as yourself, mm-hmm. uh, and you cannot love your neighbor as you love yourself, if you're using words as weapons to beat your neighbor down. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself if you are not listening to your neighbor and hearing where they come from in real in, in, in the real depth of their souls. Uh, and if you're not listening to who they see themselves being in God's creation, you're not loving your neighbor as yourself if you're telling them they're not your equal because some misinterpretation of a text that was written two to 3,000 years ago says so. I think we have to get to a point of saying, look, the, the scientific worldview that our spiritual ancestors held two to 3,000 years ago when those words were put down is not the same worldview that we hold today. We don't have to believe the same things they believed back then. We can look at those words and say, yes, that's what our ancestors used to believe, but they used to believe it in, in a time when they also believed that heaven was on the clouds above us, you know, and if you climbed a mountain, you were literally getting closer to heaven, not spiritually closer, physically closer. Like, we don't believe that to be true anymore. So why do we still hold on to these other outdated scientific worldviews that we've long ago purged from the rest of society, but in the church, we refuse to acknowledge that and we we hang on to them and create twisted doctrines that keep people down that make no sense at all. 
Right. <laughs> I, I, think I, I don't disagree with that. Any of that. Right. Um, but it's just, you got me on a roll here. eh? No, <laughs> no, no. It's just trying to unwind some of this, right. It's, you know, even between the old Testament and the new Testament, one would yes. say that, you know, God kind of chills out by the time we get around to the new Testament, there's some stuff in the early parts of the old Testament that, you know, makes God really seem kind of prickly and, uh, quick to <laughs> quick to judge and so by the time you get jesus coming around it, it seems like things have chilled out a little it's now about peace and love and acceptance and i wonder how much of i i guess even like a secular understanding of faith is like this idea of like we're taking literal lessons from the bible as opposed to using the bible as a jumping off point um I, I guess as, as, as sort of like building on those lessons instead of holding up those lessons as, as how we should live, you know, 2000 uh, uh, years after the fact. Uh, absolutely. I think we're saying the same thing two different ways. I, yeah. I, I wholeheartedly endorse that. So uh, you want to talk about prickly. There are old Testament passages <laughs> that talk about taking children's heads and smashing them against rocks in the, uh, in the, in the name of God. Okay. There, you want to talk prickly. You can't get more prickly than, than murdering children. And it's in the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, there, there are stories of rape in the Bible. Um, God hasn't changed between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God hasn't changed between the New Testament and now we have. Right. We have. We're talking about words that were written, again, two to 3,000 years ago. So the Old Testament was written earlier. The worldview of the people who follow God had changed in the years between the Testaments. The worldview of the people who follow God has changed since the Testaments were codified and, and to the worldview that we hold today. So again, why do we try to build doctrine based on outdated worldviews? They should be informative, not, not directive to us. We should be looking at them and saying, as I said, these, this is what our ancestors used to believe. We are free to disagree with that. We're allowed to grow. We're allowed to learn and do better than our ancestors did. We're allowed to say, you know what? We reject that understanding of God as primitive, outdated, but most importantly, harmful. Mm. And, and if our understanding of God is harmful, we're in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. Then I guess, I guess the question I'm getting at is how does one, I guess, how does faith move beyond the Bible? Cause you know, the Bible is for lack of a better term, but you know, to, to, to use the metaphor, it's the owner's manual. So how do you say, the faith has grown beyond the owner's manual. If yeah, because I mean. we find a better metaphor than owner's manual because it's <laughs> not what it is. Right. It's it's the ancient descriptions of our of how our ancestors used to understand God. We need to understand it for what it really is and stop making it into what it isn't. Um, we need to understand that these are the human words of our ancestors trying to put into words how they understood God in the time that they lived. And when we can see it in that context, then it, it frees us up to do two things, to learn from their experience, but also to, 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 to um, delineate how our experience is different. Mm 
Mm-hmm. We, we can say, you know what, they, you know, I don't believe this, the world the same way my father did. I don't, I don't see the world the same way my grandfather did. Why do I feel obligated to see the world 2,000 years ago? Right. I guess version, maybe saying it's version 1.0 might be the better metaphor. We're now like on version 9.1 or 10.1 or whatever, however we want to identify it. Uh, again, uh, uh, forgive me for, for being picky with your words here. No, 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 no please. We're, we're not on 9.0. We have version 1.0 and it's never been updated. That's the real okay. issue. Okay. It's never been updated. The world has moved on. The world has updated, but the Bible has stayed the same. So we need to see it for what it is. It is the 1.0. Don't make it the 9.0 go back and read it for the 1.0 that it really is and honor it for what it is lift it up and celebrate it for what it is but don't make it into what it isn't okay Fair yeah enough. i think i think yeah. I'm, i think i follow you there i did note one of your planks one of the things that that you're passionate about is anti-bullying and i'm wondering how much of sort of the the ministry the kind of ministry you provide is in terms of making the church a more welcoming place, because I think, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, if you don't see it as well, but I mean, to a degree, what some religions do with queer people or other denominations they don't agree with. It's It's bullying. bullying. It's bullying. Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll say it. I'll absolutely say it. Of course it is. Um, So the convergence of my, uh, my activist work in the anti-bullying community uh, and, and my activist work in the queer community are coincidental. Um, I didn't set out to, to bring those together, but they have come together in ways that uh, um, were probably unavoidable. Um, You asked uh, um, uh, how much uh, of that am I, uh, uh, informs my, my uh, work in the church. Again, there, uh, my anti-bullying work began outside the church, but there's so much bullying inside the church that I've been, I'm now being invited into spaces to speak about that inside the church because we're acknowledging that bullying happens everywhere. Uh, it happens in schools, which is where my work began. Um, it, it, it happens in families. It happens in the workplace. It happens in churches. It happens uh, anywhere. Uh, and so the same learnings that can be that can be used to help kindergarten kids treat each other better can also be used to help executives treat each other better mm-hmm. and church and church members treat each other better uh, and and um, queer people treat each other better and straight people and queer people treat treat each other better all of us treat each other better so so I hadn't anticipated or even planned that those would converge but they have um, but if I if I can grab a couple seconds here to, to for, for a little self-promotion. The sure. work you're, you're referring to uh, is I'm on the executive of, a, of an organization out of Hamilton called Voices Against Bullying. Um, and uh, we're easy to find voicesagainstbullying.ca or just Google Voices Against Bullying. You'll find us pretty quick. Uh, and I'm so thrilled that just uh, yesterday, uh, so you're getting the hot news here. Um, you're, <laughs> and and the local reporter in Flamborough is probably going to kill me for giving you the scoop. <laughs> uh, 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 just announced yesterday uh, is uh, an advocacy, a volunteer uh, advocacy program that we've been working on. It's been in development for nearly two years uh, that we're doing in partnership with the YMCA and in consultation with the Hamilton Wetworth District School Board uh, that will be over the next uh months and years 
training up teams of uh, volunteer advocates who will work alongside families whose children have experienced bullying in the classroom and in the playground to help them navigate the system. Because even when the system is as excellent, um, people who are entering into it for the first time still get lost and don't know don't know how to find their way. So this will provide for them uh, an ally who will help them navigate the system and help them facilitate helpful conversations with teachers, principals, and other school staff so that the children get the help they need. Um, and so we we just got our funding a few weeks ago, and and as of yesterday, that program is officially announced. I'm thrilled to be a part of that. Okay, well, yeah. ju just uh, for your own uh, for your own peace of mind, this by the time this podcast is is released, that should be old news. So, okay, <laughs> <laughs> very good. Um, in case you know, I think we've been dancing around this question, but I, I wanted to kind of ask it straight out. Go ahead. Do you consider it part of your responsibility uh, as a, a representative of your faith as, as a man of the cloth, as, as it were, to be an activist? Like, is that part of your job as a minister? It, it, it is certainly uh, a key component of how I define my own call. Um, I, I don't want to go so far as to say that I think it should be a key component of how every clergy person defines their call. I think each person needs to be free to define their call in their own way. Uh, each person has their own passions. Each person has their own uh, sense of calling of like, this is where I feel really feel led to be helpful. Um, uh, this happens to be it happens to be it for me and and there are a multitude of reasons for that um of why i feel led into into that kind of activism um and so uh the event where you and i met recently the the protest march uh, in guelph uh was certainly an expression of that i mean i was uh, appalled to hear about the the plight of uh, of Steph and Kath. I know you've covered it on your site, um, and thank you for the coverage of that. I, I was appalled to hear about their plight and and the the harmful behavior of the owner of the Guelph Medical Imaging Clinic, uh, and and um, I stumbled into that at a protest a year ago, uh, I, and and when I saw. Uh, things not getting better, um, then this summer I decided to take a, a leading role in in continuing to help support them. So, yeah, I, I, there's a, an example of, of that activism. Uh, they, they were in a position where I felt that they could use support beyond what they had access to. Um, and through my church connections and uh, through my connections uh, in in uh, in other queer support areas, I belong to a group called Free Mom Hugs of Southern Ontario, uh, which I love the fact that I'm a dad and I belong to a group called Free Mom Hugs. <laughs> <laughs> they they allow dads to be in the group. I I love that gender dynamic, um, and uh, so through my connections uh, there and otherwise. Uh, I was in a position to be able to put something together to be helpful uh, because I'm able to tap into those resources. And so if I can, then I feel personally I should. Um, so, yeah, that's a that's a passion for me personally. Yeah. Maybe to wrap up and you can tell me if this is like maybe far too personal a question, but Go ahead. Um, how do you. I guess, how do you know you're kind of walking the path like the path that, uh, you know, God has laid out for you? How do you know you, God has sort of like got your back as, as you walk through this life and you do the work you do? Wow, great question. Not what I was anticipating. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
so um, by trying and stumbling and failing and getting up and trying again, by sticking my neck out in, in risk um, and, and seeing if what I do in some small way helps make the world a better place. Uh, if seeing what, what I do helps uh, move people closer towards loving their neighbor as themselves. If, if I'm seeing the results of that coming back at me, then that's an, an assurance that I'm heading in the right direction. So in my world, we have a technical term for that. It's called faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I didn't start with that because it's too, it can be used as too glib a term and right. has been used as too glib a term, a too empty and meaningless a term uh, in, the, in the history of, of religion. Uh, so I want to put some teeth into that. Faith m- means taking a risk of not knowing the outcome before you take that leap and taking that leap anyway uh, hoping and trusting that you're leaping in the right direction and not knowing till your foot hits the ground. Uh, there is a, 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 it's corny, but there is a, a great illustration uh, back um, with uh, Indiana Jones. Uh, I think it was Temple of Doom, um, where he's walking across this chasm on invisible uh, rocks and he can't, when he sticks his foot out, he can't see if he's putting his foot down in the right place until he moves his body weight far enough forward that he would fall if he was in the wrong place. That's a, a, a beautiful visual Im- illustration of what I'm talking about in terms of faith. You've got to take that risk and risk putting your your body out there where you could get hurt, you could make a mistake, you could fall down if you're wrong, but you do it anyway. You trust, you try, that's faith. Only a leap from the lion's head can he prove his worth. It's 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 Last Crusade, and uh, I don't. I've seen it five hundred times. So, <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you for correcting me. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Reverend Rick, I, I found this very enlightening, and I, I was I'm, I'm so glad that we had this discussion today. So uh, I appreciate the chat, and uh, good luck to you with uh, all all of your endeavors in faith um it's it's much appreciated thank you uh thank you for the time and the honor of the conversation and once again that was rick brown you can learn more about brown and the many pies he has fingers in at his website r-y-k-b-r-o-w-n.ca rickbrown.ca and you'll also learn more about his anti-bullying efforts at voicesagainstbullying.ca that's Voices Against Bullying, all one word, .ca. In terms of Pride Month events here in Guelph, Pride in the Park takes place this coming Saturday at Riverside Park from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And you can learn more about Guelph Pride events at guelphpride.ca. And that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you'll get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me personally at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram or send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politico 
podcast for you this time next week. And until then, we will see you next time.